Welcome, welcome, welcome. This week's Distraction Pieces podcast is a pretty special one. A lot of you have been asking for it for a long time. Um, I wanted to stay quiet on it until it was in the bag, but I sat down with Joe Talbot of Idols and we had one of my favourite chats I've had with someone I don't know, <laughs> like like personally. I loved it. He's a really good guy. We were on the same wavelength. We connected on some bits that surprised me that I'll, I'll talk about in the outro and it caught me off guard a bit and I think I became a bit bumbling at points. But um, yeah, top lad. And their new record is amazing. Um, it's out September 25th. It's called Ultra Mono. They're doing these live stream performances from Abbey Road on August 29th and 30th. So check out all that. And then they're doing a 2020 tour. So in May and they're, they're doing... Two nights in Glasgow, Newcastle, Cardiff, Birmingham, Sheffield. Two nights in Dublin, Manchester, and two nights at London Brixton Academy. That's actually into June. I'm going to have to try and make it along to, to Brixton if I'm about. Although a trip over to Dublin for one of the Vicar Street shows would be good. I love Vicar Street. It's one of my favourite venues to play. Yeah, you're going to enjoy this. I'll pop back at the end, as said... But um, we talk about a lot of stuff, and again, this is one that's been requested a lot, and a lot of you guys have been recommending Idols to me for a minute and asking for Joe and I to sit down and have a chat, and I couldn't be happier that we did. If this is your your first time listening to the Distraction Pieces podcast, go and have a look at the back catalogue. Let me think of some of the like. We've had Billy Bragg on, Frank Turner, Frank Carter, Kate Tempest a couple of times because she's... She's like my little, oh, 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 what's the term for little sister now that she's um, changed her pronouns? I need to, I'll talk to her about that. She's my little homie. Um, Roots Maneuver, Mike Skinner, uh, Kano. There's loads of good people I've had on. Uh, Wes Borland from Limp Biscuit, weird shout, but he's great. Yeah, Amanda Palmer, Charlotte Hatherley. Loads of really good people. I'll stop rambling. So this is episode 341 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with Joe Talbot of Idols. This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction Pieces. This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction Pieces. This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction Pieces. This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction Pieces. Right, I'm joined today by Joe Talbot of Idols. How are you, man? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, um, I'm slightly stressed about domestic bullshit, but apart from that, I'm happy and glad to be here. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I'm I'm delighted to, to have you on. You you've been requested a lot on the podcast, which is oh, really is yeah. It's always a, a a nice thing, man. When you because I I I select all the guests. It's all com- completely down to me it's nice to know when you've got a guest that you know the audience are already keen to hear from so uh oh, yeah sick. it means it's easy for us to just sit sit back and chat but how are you finding all the all the all the lockdown mayhem in general you holding up okay yes thank you i am yeah um i like i see it as uh as a privilege really this stuff because i'm i'm on the privileged side i think yeah it's either th- this sort of kind of catastrophic thing is you're either uh, a victim or a victor you know you either lose a lot or you win a lot like i've gained a lot of time and i'm just super gra- grateful basically that i've got a roof over my head and people are still buying our t-shirts yes and um we've been able to you know we've got a record label behind us so we can release an album healthily, you know, like so we double the amount of singles that are coming out, stay connected with our audience, all of that shit. Yeah. Which, which keeps us busy, keeps our, our, our audience busy incrementally. And like, I've just taken it as, as a, my, my situation as a blessing, you know, yeah. I, I understand I've fucked people. I've, I've had friends lose grandparents. One person nearly die. A friend of mine who's young, and like, you know, a couple of people lose parents. It's like, I understand just how lucky I am, basically. That sounds cliche, but it's true. Do you know what I mean? Like, you, I'm just lucky. I completely agree. I've, I've, I've had to attend a, f- a funeral over a webcam 
Yeah, Jesus. again, I still just feel I'm so l- l- lucky in this situation because exactly as you, my earnings haven't been catastrophically hit or stopped or got gotten rid of altogether. I've got a roof over my head. I've got a garden. As stupid as it sounds, I've got a garden, for fuck's sakes. So mm-hmm. I don't have to be going down to a beach out of desperation and then being absolutely hated upon by the whole nation because I'm going to a beach out of desperation. And it's this mm-hmm. it's this, this catch-22 situation. There's so many things being brought in to, to, to boost the economy, like your kind of your 50% off meals that are wicked for the economy, but they're targeting the working classes who need that 50% off. So it's basically saying you go and take the risks and take the corona and take that 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 wave or that hit. Yeah. And the wealthy will go, well, the economy's back on track. And it's a it's a messed up one. Because everything yeah. every, every every negative effect is on the poorest people and every s- solution is also targeting in many ways the poorest people. It's a Yeah, it's like I, t- I can't remember what it was. One of my lecturers at uni brought this up. I, w- I was doing a lot about um, class division and uh, like advertising prejudices, and like the, the, it was a thing that just raised. Like you don't see billboards in middle class areas; you only see billboards yeah. in working class areas. And it wasn't until I I was told that I was like, "Fuck yeah!" And like that is the relationship that working classes have is that. They are the ones who are blamed and the ones who are attacked and the ones who are aimed at. Yeah. In in all in all sectors, it's that that in a class war, they they they're the brunt of it on all sides. And it's fascinating in times like this where the government have kind of not conspiracy theory, it's just this is the way they've either accidentally maneuvered it, or I mean, there's no way it's an accident, where they've kind of kept it grey area, almost confused, so as to make the people make the decisions so that in the future they could be like, well, you know, we did tell you to stay at home. You also told us to go out and eat, you mad they've, cunts. They've, they've, done, they've, they've, they've done what they know works and what the general public tend to want across the board is plausible deniability. Yeah. So yeah. that we can act selfishly but say, well, the government wasn't clear. And the government know that, so they're intentionally unclear. Do you know what I mean? So it becomes this this snake that's eating its own tail, is we can all use the government as our our scapegoat to go and act often inappropriately. And it's, uh, yeah, they know that. I think the biggest trick of this Tory government is the illusion of Boris Johnson being this bumbling clown and again it 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 is a trick there was that amazing kind of realization that when he did that rambly interview about having hobbies and sometimes i carve buses out of wood i make these little buses out of wood i can't and he's just this rambling idiot and then you realize prior to that if you googled boris johnson and bus all the first hits would be the promise of the the money to the NHS um, mm. and, and all the Brexit stuff. The day after that, if you Googled Boris Johnson and bus, it was a cute story about him being this bumbling idiot who makes little buses out of wood. And it's like, Fuck. that's intentional. That's, yeah. that's, that's, it's too random. Because again, mm. as he was saying, it was clearly b- bullshit. It was yeah. just this weird little thing. It's too random to not be an intentional r- recovery on, uh, on, <sighs> on the biggest Fuck. dark sides of things. Is that 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 section in hypernormalization where they talk about the strategies of the Russian government and like confusion yeah. politics, where you just left becomes right, right becomes left, centralization, like li- neoliberalism is basically fuck with everyone's heads to sell more shit. Yeah. But like it is like everyone kind of, if you speak to them individually at the moment, so like, yeah, it's, you, you call out bullshit. You just say, yeah, this, obviously this is. But it's like such pandemonium. Yeah. Like there's no linear narrative going on anywhere that you kind of end up just hoping for the best, which was the worst a month ago. Yeah. And like, you know, it's like you just settle for a bit of stability, which is like uber capitalism. It's so bizarre. But your new normal is going to be dog shit. 
that's it. It's, yeah. it's abuse. It's a, it's it's accepting. It's uh, Stockholm syndrome. You know, you just you you you're just relieved for your captors to give you a bit of leg room. Yeah, yeah. Strange, strange it, time. It really is, and it feels like weirdly, j- 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 journalism is the biggest enemy and the biggest tool in in the kind of b- battle at the moment. The kind of clickbait. A one sentence Twitter journalism is what removes all linear narrative, r- removes any f- focus on any uproar. We're always on to the next thing. Mm. But then, more than ever, do we, it's, it's, it's a time where we need people writing actual articles and actually recording what's going on. So, here's some in depth thought rather than, well, well this was tr- trending on, t- on Twitter last week, it's not now. It can't be that news cycle. We need those documents. And I, I really enjoyed your the article that you wrote in, um, is it Crank or Crack? I always crack. Yeah, get yeah. the name wrong in Crack. About the NHS. And, and it really flagged how it's been, it's been kind of a flagpole throughout your life. And we've seen that kind of, when you were young, the, the NHS was this praised and and idolised thing, mm. and then we've seen the decay of it. But we've kind of seen that fast-forwarded in the last few months. We've seen that whole journey that you had in your life. And not to get... I mean, I feel like I'm bringing on really really heavy subjects immediately, but right. it was it was a big part of your life through your own health issues, through your mum, you, your stepdad, losing both of those, and just all sorts of things like that. But we've seen that fast-forwarded in the start of this pandemic. Everyone applauding, everyone in the streets, everyone saying, wow, we sh- should have been p- protecting this more mm. when the Tories had started to come for it y- years earlier. And then all of a sudden it is back down to, ah. Oh. I mean, I, I remember the first th- thing I saw was someone just moaning about, if it's so hard for them, why have they got a time to do TikTok videos? And stuff like that, because people were doing this stuff to raise awareness. So yeah, how have you found that kind of, obviously it being a key part in your life and then seeing that kind of go up and down in this in this period? I mean, it, it's a weird one because like what, <clears throat> one of the, the interesting points in my relationship to this whole pandemic is like, I've got this tiny window, isolation, if yeah. you abide it means that your window onto its the perspective of it is this algorithmed window and like you've got to read between the lines and read between the lines on, on these these weekly updates from the government and obviously the the articles and the clickbait like my I'm at my dad's at the moment I I can see Millennium Stadium outside of the window I'm sat by yeah. and that was a a, a Nightingale set up hospital and I haven't seen like a huge influx of ambulances going in and out and there hasn't been. And it's like, just because I can't see what's going on and I can't see the impact, it's like, it. it's the threat of a, an un, in, unprepared government collapsing a system that they have neglected, criminally neglected, that is the threat. It's not that they're spending lots of money on something that isn't being used. And I have to remind myself of that. It's like, what the, the the point that they built is because they were completely unprepared and didn't do fuck all for for six weeks. Yeah, and ignored yeah. emails that were saying this is coming, this is coming. You you yeah. need to you need to sort your shit out and get lots of PPE in. Simple simple steps that a logician would just be like, yeah, okay, we'll get that sorted. And then it's like it's on the brunt of a of a of, a, of an infrastructure that should have been built better by our government and then it's like it's it's a governmental issue that then gets transferred onto a a a business issue which is the nhs it's like it's the two shouldn't be separate and i i just have to keep reminding myself that i don't really know what's going on i also you know just just decision making in the street do i shake my friend's hand i'm not a fucking expert what should happen is that the the isolation the rules of isolation, quarantine should have been kept for another month yeah. for me to know what to do. I don't know what to do out in the street. I'm not an expert. I don't understand. I think I had COVID-19 in March, no, February. I had all the symptoms 
for nine days. I couldn't get out of bed, couldn't breathe, hallucinating in the daytime, sweating buckets at night, all that stuff. But it doesn't mean I had it. And I don't fucking know. I'm not an expert. That's why I vote for certain people. And, you know, I respect the decisions made by my GP. And I look for, you know, governments whose legislation are there for our welfare and our well-being that are made by experts. So it's just all this stuff that's been whittled down to this tiny window where I'm like, is this real? Or am I just being continually fucking lied to? Yeah. Um, and the NHS is just the victim of private privatization and mis- misinformation to the public that relies on it for survival. Yeah. Like without it, it's, it's one of our only last bastions of democratic being in this country. Like without, you know, they were going to fucking, academies were going to be a thing in the future, not too long ago. That's privatisation of education. We'd have one thing left and the victims would be the poor. So I don't know, like I'm, I'm just scared. I'm, I'm just worried that the fascist side of our government and the fear mongering of our tabloid press will win because it is winning. It's been winning for the last fuck knows how long. Yeah. So I'm just, I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat hoping, uh, hoping like all I can do is, is kind of keep up conversation and not be reactionary in my, in my thinking. Yeah, I feel you. And, and the conversation part is key. And it's one of the things that struck me when you guys kind of exploded onto the scene in 2017. And um, there's a great, a little bit in the press release for your new album, Ultramono, um, that says kind of that brutalism was the introduction, joy was your manifesto, and Ultramono is you heading into into battle. And it feels like that um, from the first track. But what excited me from the start is something I've always said for years, and I kind of tried to do in, in my music over the years, is there was a period in the early 2000s where it became really popular for bands to talk about causes to talk about politics but always in their interviews and then release another song that's just about love or another song that's just about the same old things and it excited me and again it's it's evident in your new album as as much as any that you're putting the stuff you want to talk about in your songs and and the reason I always had that outlook was let's say optimistically 30% of your audience will read that interview or see that interview 100% 100% of your audience will hear the songs and hear mm. the lyrics in there and the, the things that are being said. So at what point did that become important to you or did you know that was your thing? Because, again, everyone's said you kind of exploded out of nowhere in 2017, but you'd been a band since, like, 2009, I think I read. So mm. what was that journey of of idols? To, to to Did you at the start have that view or was it a development and 2017 was the point where, bang, here we are, yeah. fully realised? I mean, our first ever demos that we did was, what, to 2011, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a track on there called Imagine Communities, which is based on the book Imagine Communities, which is basically about the ludicrous nature of nationalism and how, like, all borders are imagined, there obviously there are physical boundaries to yeah. land, but borders are imagined, and it's about that the dangerous relationship people have with an imagined community, and how you become pr- pr- protective, conservative, or preservative of something that never existed. The ideologies yeah. of make something great again, for instance, is is, is rife now in, in, yeah, in yeah, the Western world, and that romanticism is dangerous and also insane when you really think about it. To me, anyway, in my opinion, completely. On in on on in in Rutger Bregman's most recent book, he talks about the the most damaging thing for, from him looking through history. The time that things started to go so fucked up and selfish and self centered w- was when someone came up with the idea of land ownership, mm. building a house and owning that bit of land. Previously, mm. you didn't own anything. You built a hut and you owned the hut. Yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, people own land and there were yeah boundaries and countries and the different rules and tribalism essentially yeah. and tribal that that tribalism thing is like i was, i i it's, it's, i can't remember what the the film's called now but it's a bunch of philosophers talking about the essence of their philosophy 
and what they're in, in 10 minutes. They all have to try yeah. and define their teachings really quickly. I think it's called the examined, an examined life. I think it's called. I'm and like, of that. yeah, it's cool. It's, it's funny. It's like, it's a cool little film. And one of them, one of them is talking about cosmopolitanism and how like, it's about accepting difference. You're the, the global community is globalization is dangerous, but a global community or the idea, the, the essence of cosmopolitan life is to accept difference and to embrace difference, yeah. but it has to be embraced by everyone in that community for it to work. And that's kind of like what is exciting to me about that. But on the other side, you know, it's, it's that them and us, that tribalism is about us and those guys. And it's like, that's where it falls short. And for me, the, the first time that really hit me as a musician, well, as a person was with the coalition, the, the, the Lib Dem t- Tory coalition. And I wrote Imagine Communities about that. It was like, all my mates are being lied to and they're voting for something they're not going to get. And I was having these arguments in the pub at three in the morning going, you're not, this is bullshit. Yeah. And then when, when the coalition happened, I remember just crying out of anger, like fucking cunts. Like I just know there's going to be this fucking handshake on the telly and some Tory's going to be smirking at the caravan. We fucking got you now. People and- forget how believable and how exciting the Lib Dems seemed in that election, how oh. it did seem like they were offering a genuine alternative that wasn't just, here's the two-party politics that we've had for years. Yeah. So it made it made that coalition so much more of a, a kick in the teeth, even if you tried to go along the, the kind of rose-tinted glasses side of, well, at least they're going to be keeping the Tories in line in some way and so on and so forth. It was still, it threw away this... Here was this beautiful thing that was like, oh no, oh power, oh we can have power, oh sweet, mm. f- forget all that. So yeah, yeah, completely understand I mean, that. It was just like that was that time of frustration, and then what I guess what happened was there was a there was a a, a, a line. Everything became aligned where like my frustrations and the catharsis of the music and the performance of it felt most true to me when I was getting out all the things on stage that normally made me an asshole. So like if I was an angry, I was very angry man, like looking after my mum when she was dying made me a very volatile human being. And and I was stressed and I had this thing, like I was angry at the universe for doing this to me. And it's like, it's bullshit. The the, the universe owes you nothing. Nothing as our guitarists say objectively exists. It's like you just, you, all you have control of, is your perspective and your behaviour and your emotions. You can't control anyone else's. So I just started using our live performance, and it was always about the performance to me, was was a truth and a catharsis of, of getting all the stuff out so that I it didn't bleed into my everyday life. And, I, I you know, alcoholism, drug intake, passive-aggressive relationships where I was just an asshole to my partner, and aggressive, I was just a very, like, I, I've become, when I drank a lot, a really nasty person. Right. And I realised that, you know, I could actually kind of, without sounding melodramatic, save my life and, and save my relationships with my friends and, and partners and family over time. But that was the start of it. And it, the, like, the way it comes through and what I learned from a young age through my dad talking to me about politics and, and what I was saying in that letter to the NHS in crack is that the, the personal and the political are not two separate spheres. That's what they want you to think. That's what the, the, the upper echelons, the upper middle classes and the upper classes, but also the rich want you to think. It's that idea that your singular voice isn't important and strong enough to make a difference. So just, just do what we say and you'll be fine. Yeah. Whereas like, I just wanted to realign people's self-care and understanding that if you truly learn to forgive yourself and love yourself, that will give you the confidence to empathise, not just with your people, but with the people that you've seen as, as your adversaries or the opposition or them, and, and, and learn to understand them. Then you don't go in with such defensive mannerisms, attitudes, ideologies that create a much more open conversation and and a persuasive one. Yeah. You can't change people's minds with attack. 
it's fight or flight. You go in with an attack, people either coil up or leave. Yeah. They either put up defence, just call you a name back, or they fuck off. And, that, you know, that's what polarising of politics has done. It's like it's made the left just as aggressive and pompous as the right now, you know? And Completely, it's like 100%. just slinging mud, slinging mud. And you're like, that's where I was coming from, as, uh, from the age of maybe 15, 16, where I really kind of started to understand party politics. I started being like sanctimonious and like, I didn't fucking, I didn't know who I was, let alone who they were. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, over time, I hope some emotional maturity, especially with this new album has come in, where we, we've just realised that our platform is an important one for conversation. It can't immediately change. Uh, it won't immediately change party politics, but it can certainly give people a sense of confidence that they are a tiny piece in a huge puzzle. And that's, that's a beautiful thing to, to understand that you're so small, yet that small thing is a, can be a huge shift on it if everyone starts working together. And yeah. I think that, I think fascism would, would die through empathy. I think that's the biggest tool we have as the left. Yeah. I completely um, agree. It's yeah. and it's it's a fascinating thing. I think people really underestimate the importance and the reach of art in helping push for change or or, or reach people that that maybe wouldn't be reached because it's all good, like to have a documentary where 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 f- f- philosophers are explaining their philosophies and all that. That's going to appeal mm. to certain people. That got me. You saw excitement in my eyes as soon as you were saying that. But there's going to be a whole world of people who that doesn't appeal to um mm. who who just want have got their job and their family but music will get through to them or film film's another one i think that's really underrated how how we how how that's used and how impactful it can be in get in getting these stories and messages across so how was it when you started to get through to people and get that reaction because when i said like when brutalism came out it did seem to click with people it was at a time that that it, and it's again it's a dark thing because we'll continue to talk about it but it, it was at a time when the country was a fucking mess and it yeah. seems to have got progressively worse every year since so yeah it's one of those depressing things of i've had it with a, f- a few songs of mine that have been used in protests and that but they were being used in protests in 2014 mm-hmm. and it still rings true in protests in 2020 and it's like that's not that doesn't put a smile on my face, you know. Ego out the window that makes me go shit. Mm. It's cool that that connects, but it's depressing. I was writing that of the moment, thinking that change was on the cusp, but mm. it's a continual battle, right? So it must have been Absolutely. exciting to start get, getting through to people. I guess I'm rambling yeah. in my questions here, but you know, no, no, no. Like it's, I think it's important. It's an interesting insight into how you see it because the lyrics, the first time. I heard the lyrics, Radiohead, Just the Band. Uh, <laughs> I was like, yeah. I, I was like, yeah, exactly. Like all those heroes of mine that you listed in that song made me realise that like there were so many inflated egos and bored people on stage that I was paying money to see yeah. that I wanted to inject what you, what you, what you want, what I assume you want as a person. Yeah. In music, which is vibrance, beauty, but like a an authenticity, whether it's, I don't know, whatever it is, it's not like the agenda is the love of music and the love of doing, not I'm up here, you're down there. hundred percent. You know, and, and that is, so, you know, you shifted my thinking, which is, so you already made a difference. That's dope. And that's, that's mad. Yeah. yeah appreciate and, it. And like, I think the point of, of your music and, and, and Idol's music is that the, the, the personal behind it, the, the, what we're, what we're attacking, it's, it's a universal thing where I, I want people to feel solace in community, but first and foremost, solace in themselves, to have that dialogue with themselves, to feel confident enough to listen to others. So for me, that those micro changes is all that's important to me. And I think you will always stay relevant as an artist because you haven't just spoken of things that will ever, like there will never be a time where what we truly want will ever exist. 
Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But the, the authenticity of what we're saying is, is the personal. You know, I want to be your vacuum cleaner. Won't ever feel dated because vacuum cleaners will ex- cease to exist at one point. It's the, it's the premise of the want to be someone's vacuum cleaner. Not yeah. that, the, you know what I mean? It's like we won't sound dated as long as we're transparent. As long as we, our, our motives are, are human and that yeah. human motive will always be there. I think like, and that's the relevancy that we, we will always have is that we're a part of this. We are the audience. Yeah. So, and the, that will always, our, we will always want to feel part of something, want to feel safe, want to feel loved, want to love and care about the welfare of, of, of our people. Yeah. So that, that will never be dated is, you know, that the danger of a lot of, you know, a lot of shifts in culture, for instance, the Black Lives Matter movement recently, it's like I could understand a lot of the, the, the frustrations that are already apparent is that it's not the ice bucket challenge. This is someone that people are regularly being murdered in, in America yeah. by a militant police force that are not well-trained, miseducated and fucking armed to the teeth. That's one of the most dangerous. Scared. Yeah. Scared yeah. Because of the way the media and the propaganda of, of both sides kind of build this war, it means mm. the ones that are turning up with, with weapons, they're fucking scared, man. I don't, they're normal people, essentially. That's where we get off track is these, is, is the mythologizing of the police as this mythical beast, as much as the mythologizing of the black community. As this mythical, dangerous, scary beast, they're both. If we can root them more in humanity, then we can see a, a coming together there. That, that isn't the, 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 that we're we're pitting them against each other, but one side happens to be armed to the teeth and backed by corrupt governments, you know, mm. and the other side has no one. They, you know, mm. they're fighting for their lives. It's mm. yeah, it's it's super dangerous. I like. Uh... For me, the, the Black Lives Matter movement, we, we wanted to get involved when George Floyd was murdered, but we were like, how do we do this in a way that's productive, that we, you know, we're not adding to noise? Because that, that's what happens on the internet, is it creates a lot of noise and confusion. And obviously with anything, any positive movement, you know, it's so easy to get lost in that. So we just thought, well, the only thing we really can do that's productive at the moment is not just sit there and be like, yeah, it's to just uh, create some money to, to, to help them so that they can organize. And yeah. like that, that is the best way of protest is, is to read and get rich. You know, that idea that you, you educate and organize so that you can create a clear and concise message. And that message becomes purpose and that purpose becomes productive and yeah. change happens. But, you know, that's where all that noise was, you know, coming in. It was, it's, it must be so frustrating for all those well-intentioned people that are now, like, you know, feeling like they're ignored again so quickly after, yeah. you know, more people are being murdered. You know. Yeah. This is this is going to sound like I'm going off on a complete tangent, but I promise you I'm not. But yeah. what's your process or your pace when it comes to writing, recording and releasing? Because political commentary and stuff like that for a long time now has been rife in hip-hop, I mean, even more so in grime. And part of the reason for that is you can just jump on a beat and say, make your statement. Um, So at first I was thinking it seems so unusual to hear that from a rock band. But then I kind of stepped Mm. back and went, well, no, it's not a rock band. It's a fucking punk band. And the punk I grew up listening to had that exact same political commentary. And again, it's because it skipped the process that particularly in the 80s and 90s, Rock music was months and months in studios, adding orchestras, adding all sorts of craziness, the kind of Phil Spector, huge mm. thing. Um, Steinman, all, all these different people that would make it big, whereas punk rock was going, we've got an hour in a studio, and let's go and record it, and let's mm. release it. And that allowed them to speak politically and currently, and it not be mm. six months out of date. And I get mm. that from you guys. So it made me wonder what your kind of, process and paces from i've got something to say we need to get this written recorded and and 
with the people. Yeah. It's a weird one, actually, because, like, what we've done with this album is trying to take the immediacy, the impact that hip-hop and grime has, yeah. sonic, sonically. Yeah, so it our, comes our, across. The, the, our, the sonics and that, particularly in, in some of the starts and the builds and that, completely, mm. it's got that hip-hop influence like, without... I mean, I, I, when I was doing a record that was kind of hip-hop and rock and or punk, I kept mm. having to go back to producers and go, you've sent me a new metal song this isn't what we want this isn't which is such a hard thing to meld them welds and not lose the the heart of of either but you seem to have done that it's like it's not obviously hip-hop but the sonics and the builds are, are clearly yeah it's a, it, that, that's a hard battle like death to a death to a journalist it's yeah, like yeah. it's got like the punch that an 808 has there's yeah, guitars yeah, yeah. in there but the, <laughs> i can imagine that song sounding like a new metal song if it was done badly yeah, but that, yeah, that's, yeah. You know, Completely. I mean, I grew up on hip hop, so like, I, I kind of, I, I, I want that impact that you, you can listen to a hip hop record at home and the air will move because the subs are there. You listen to like, I don't know, Gang of Four in your living room. You could crank it so it hurts your ears, but you won't have that eight oh eight fucking kick that yeah, yeah. so many great hip hop records do, especially nowadays. The production is sick. And even like on a Billy Eilish records, sonically, you know, our first two albums wouldn't stand up next to next to a Billy Eilish record. It sounds amazing. It's amazing. You know, it's a, yeah, and like we just want to be able to cut through. Like, is what you're saying with our messaging is that we want we we understand that like our venues are bigger now, our audience is bigger, and our messaging since that first demo where where I wrote the lyrics for Mass Communities, it's like I. I was still kind of hiding behind allegory, you know. Yeah. I was using obvious, like if you if you'd read in most communities, you know what I was saying, but you didn't know I was talking about the coalition. I wasn't, yeah. you know. And it's like you can't you can't rally, you can't rally people to to have empathy and to to build a community around the concept of empathy and love if you're not clear. You need to cut through popular culture. Yeah. You can't. There's no, there's no room for nuance anymore in popular culture. If you want to be, uh, uh, the lack like, of clarity is often is often arrogance. It's our egos. It's wanting to go. I want to write this really beautiful and wrapping this, which can be dope, but at points, and like the first time I heard you guys, weirdly, was at a wrestling show. And there's a wrestler oh, called Zack yeah, Saber yeah. Junior who comes out to mother, and just yeah. hearing the best way to scare a is to read and get rich was like that was it. I was like, right, who? Oh, what's this? Like, who are these guys? Because yeah, yeah, that yeah. was simple and straight and to mm. the point. It wasn't wrapped in mystery and, and, and anything. It was direct and, and to the point. And that, that hits through, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's it's, it's like, not easy sometimes as an artist because, again, you sometimes want to um, f- sprinkle this this pattern onto stuff, whereas at points the message is key. Yeah. Like, I'd, I'd love to be, like, put into the same echelons as, like, Leonard Cohen or Stuart Lee, where the nuances are there and, like, I impress my mates or I impress the kind of the intellectual rags, do you know what yeah. I mean? And, like, you know, because because of, like, the almost nursery rhyme approach I had to Joyce and Act of Resistance, I was criticised for sloganeering and, and cliches and stuff and it really knocked my confidence, but then I, re- really? I had to remind myself that's the whole purpose yeah. of that record was that I was... I was going against what I what I wanted to be seen as and my ego of being seen as an intellectual. It's not going to work. I like that's not how I think. I, I'm a blunt thinker. I'm an introverted thinker. But the way I express myself is bluntly. Yeah. Like I, I, I try and paint as clear and short and concise a picture as possible. So it was like just being untrue and trying to impress. You know, it's that looking back on a haircut you had when you're 15 and being embarrassed. It's because you didn't want that haircut you just everyone else had it you know yeah. like i was just yeah joy's actor was, was like me learning my own language and trying to be as concise as possible and ultra mono is like the the the, the ultra mono the, yeah. the singular and concise a message as possible so i can move on and you know write i love poetry. that because you reference that kind of in in the album that kind of conflict of of worrying that it's over sloganistic or or whatever else but then the fact is that's a key part in any of these battles anyway you know it opens the 
at the door, seeing defund the police written everywhere is what made me do a podcast and speak to um, Professor Alex Vitale and, and Dr. Adam um, Elliot Cooper about mm. what the actual movement is and and how it's far deeper than just a slogan. But you need that to get people on board. And again, to mm. be even more direct, you need something to chant. Mm. So at, at, at a protest, you need something to chant. And then at a concert, at a gig, at a, mm. in your bedroom, when your parents have pissed you off and you've locked yourself in your room, you need something to chant. Then that can yeah. then lead you to reading this paper on this subject yeah. or watching this lecture. But yeah, I love that, that you didn't get scared away by mm. any of that criticism. I love that you kind of, again, I think the best criticism or the best way to take criticism is to not ignore it, to take it on board and to go, right, are, are they right? And then hopefully it strengthens your resolve in what you're, you're, you're doing. Cause you have that mm. in a conflict, as you said, yeah. you have that moment of going, Oh, maybe I shouldn't be doing this, but then go, no, that's, that's why I'm doing this. I need, this is how yeah. I think, this is how I get things across. I love that. I I feel like I've got there with, with, with ultra mono. I think like, I feel it's that thing of, you know, like a weird, again, the, 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 the lyric, the death, death to the journalist. Yeah. Or death of the journalist. Death of the journalist. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I, I've I've been battling with that recently, that like because obviously been, I've been doing a lot of interviews for the campaign around this album, yeah. And like it is such, it's like having therapy with someone where the therapist, you know, they have an agenda and they're going to tell everyone what you said. It's yeah. like the most unhealthy form of therapy you can have, but it's like I've been going through it and like it's that self doubt like projected to the world. Um, by someone else's words it's not even you're not even allowed that so for me with this album it was like it it, I wrote it around the reaction to Joy as an Act of Resistance articles reviews and other bands slagging us off it was like I need to write an album that exorcises all of that so that I can move on and, and sleep at night going you've not murkified any waters there you said exactly who you are so it's like getting naked with a with a very toxic body image yeah. and being like, just fucking get it out there and then you can rest, both politically and, and personally. Like, yeah. the, you know, like it's the most personal album I've had because it's the most concise. I've not left any room for overthinking or pon- pontification. Like, it's, it's, so it feels good. It's a beautiful thing, though, because when, when you realise that if what you create, if you're true to yourself on what you create, mm. then it doesn't matter if it succeeds or fails or if people mm. love or hate it. It's when you try and bend that it becomes an issue. I remember on our second album, I loved all the songs on there, but we had our idea of, w- of what we wanted to be the first single because it was hard and it was angry. Yeah. And the and the label loved a song of ours called Get Better. And they, they, they had, because they could see a radio edit in it and all this kind of thing. Yeah. And we bowed to their, and again, it was it's their like, like the label are great. It's Sunday Best, they're fantastic. But we bowed to their wills, mm. and then when people came back saying, "Oh, it's over preachy, it's this, it's that," it hurt more because yeah. it was like right because we didn't stick with what we wanted. We wanted a song that came out and just shouted at people, not yeah. a song that came and spoke nicely to people. Because yeah. I think that can be key along in an album, but as the first thing and and. That's the one point in my career that I kind of thought, oh, fuck. I felt it, it hurt more because it because I hadn't been tr- true to myself in that choice. So Absolutely. it's great to go, right, we need to be true to ourselves. And again, it goes back to what I was saying about people hearing interviews versus people hearing y- your your record. The record, just to be clear off the bat, the record that, that doesn't come across as bitter or petty in, in any kind of reaction to things. But I love that you've gone... I want to react to the reaction to the last record and I'm going to put it in the mm. record. I'm not mm. going to do a tweet about it. I'm not going to mm. do this I'm going to, or do that. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to go, here's mm. what, here's where we are. And that's, yeah. Mm. It's like creating a picture for people to feel like it's okay. Like I, I've been in cognitive behavioral therapy. I'm just going to shut my window because I realise families on both sides of this house <laughs> are like the loudest fucking families in existence. So <laughs> I'm just going to shut go the ahead. window. So. Shut that window, man. <laughs> 
they are loud, but they're also really generous with their food. Beautiful. That's the like perfect the hand, hand balance, food over right? both sides. Like every Ramadan, it's like blah, fucking curries everywhere. I love it. I anyway, it. right. So, so yeah, I was like cognitive behavioral therapy. Yeah. I was doing person, person centered therapy. And for people who are listening, don't know what that is. It's basically that's the therapy where you just talk about your past and your present and how you basically learn and put yourself in the context of, of your life so that you understand where your decisions and your relationships have come from um, to try and understand yourself better. Like that's the best way I can describe it. This cognitive behavioral therapy is where you kind of learn what context you're in, but then you, you, you really start to understand the cycles of your behavior and your thought processes that, that kind of fuel those those behaviors and then in turn your emotions that come from that and yeah. and that it's a pyramid it's like a triangle so that your your thought processes your behavior and your emotions all affect each other all the time so it's about kind of denaturalizing all three points to that in order to change your cycles to stop drinking when you want to numb yourself or stop going into a room fortune telling how a conversation is going to go or an argument is going to go before it's happened. All these toxic kind of cycles of behavior and thought processes that basically shape your life that you can change very yeah. easily. Well, not very easily, but easily if you have someone who really helps you denaturalize, which is cool. But like with, with this, it was like with this album, it's like I've been, I started cognitive behavioral therapy. So it was a really good exercise in me being like, it's okay to be angry. Do not allow any positive journalism or reactions to your art to make you think you're fucking Jesus because you're not. Yeah. Don't forget, you still want to punch that person square in the throat. Yeah. You just you just don't do it. That's the difference. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be depressed. It's okay to want to do crack cocaine. If that's if that's where you're at in life, it's it's about not beating yourself up for those wants and needs and accepting those as part of you and then just dislocating that from your behavior. Yeah. And then once that's dislocated, you can just like give yourself time to breathe and change. And then you don't turn to the bottle. You don't turn to the pipe. You don't turn to the fist. You just accept that it's okay to be angry and that it's okay to be sad. It's okay to be scared. And then in time, your behavior changes, which in time changes your thought processes and emotions. And then in time, you're not angry at all. Man, I, and like th I love this that. album was, yeah, this album was about me being like, yeah, like Model Village, the song that's about to come out, was oh, me oh, right. Li literally, M Model Village was what I was about to talk about in response to that because it jumped out to me f having come from a small town and yeah. knowing what I love about it from what you were speaking there is mm. the lack of judgment. And and, mm. and and the acceptance, it talks about the issues of small towns mm. and it is the boredom and the, the cycles and mm. the booze and dr dr drugs and all these other things that become coping mechanisms. Yet, again, I think w w when I've r r written about that kind of thing, I'll, I'll always be worried that it sounds as if I'm being ju judgmental or having mm. a go. And I don't think it comes across, but you nailed it in this one of kind of going, look, here's the big problem. And I think... What I was saying earlier about get, getting through to the right people, there's a lot of people in that situation who wouldn't n naturally go and have a, s a CBT or or, yeah. or whatever else, but yeah. could hear a song like this and see parts of themselves in it and go, "All oh, right, man, yeah. this isn't this isn't great." Because it's also not celebrating it. Like whilst it's not yeah. ju judging or or having yeah. a go, it's not s celebrating. So, yeah. I mean, like it's a weird thing because it. It was that song was 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 reactionary. I was so angry about Brexit going through. Yeah, I like it. Almost was like if I don't write this song, I'm gonna be a, a real prick to some people. Uh -huh. But like, it's kind of like holding holding. Like, if you say like, if I went out and I was an asshole last night and I did loads of awful shit, which I did on a regular basis, the like. You, you, you need to be held accountable for that. Yeah. You do. But, like, the way I, I, if someone, if I, the way I would need to change is by someone holding me accountable 
but then illustrating why I've done this. Like you're, you're obviously still grieving or you're still very angry and you're not expressing that. So you bottle it up to a point where you need to numb it. You get shit face and then you can't control your emotions. So you act out as a prick yeah. and you make, make, make mistakes that you then need to apologize for and, and rebuild relationships from. So like, this is like, I get why you want to conserve this idea of perfection is because you're lied to and you, you, there's no cosmopolitan living, uh, in, in small villages like Devon. I, I, like there was one black kid at our school. So that is already a misrepresentation of democracy really. Cause there's no, there's no fair education there of, of experiencing different cultures. So I get there's a misrepresentation and miseducation in small towns and stuff, but it's still, it doesn't excuse racist actions or racist ideals. Like it, it reasons it, it gives reasons as to why people are racist and fascistic or scared, but it's like, you still need to be held accountable. There still needs to be change and we still need to make those changes. Yeah. Like I, I do not, like where I came from, Devon. It's not a place where I'd want my daughter to grow up in. It's beautiful to look at, but there's a severe lack of different cultures going on. And there was a, there was a real kind of ambient uh, arrogance and an ambient nationalism that was kind of docile racism, you know? Where it's just like, eh, you know, after, you know, what? Well, like the amount of times people would excuse their grandparents for being racist because they just don't know any better. Yeah. It's like, well, I don't care how old my fucking gran is. I'm going to correct her if she says something racist. That's the only way they're going to change. It's very, it's, the town I've grown up in is exactly that. There was so, I had so many years of going along with the, oh no, he's a good, he's a good bloke though. You know, other than the fact he's right, other than the racism, he's a good bloke. No, he's not a good bloke then. Yeah. It's as simple as that. He's not a good bloke. It's not, he's, you wouldn't say, a murderer. Oh, he's a good lad. He kills people and that, but he's a good <laughs> lad. Other than that, he's a good lad. Again, yeah, yeah exactly yeah. that. I, but I went along with that for years and years because that's yeah. the town I'd grown up in. Kind of. Other than exactly. that, I don't agree with his views on on homosexuality. But other than that, he's a good mm. lad. It's like no, these things aren't. And like, yeah, it, 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 I mean, I, I can't, I can't be nice about it. And like the whole reason why it's docile racism and. There's like a sinister underbelly to to kind of conservatism in in like rural England. It's because it's ex, it's accepted and no yeah. one holds them accountable. It's like it's just yeah. It's it's but it but now that the point of that song really was that it's that sort of nationalism is is nationwide now. Like Brexit happened. Yeah, and I yeah. will, and you know, it's exactly what we we're saying about sloganeering. Like Brexit was a catchy phrase that people would get hold of, and the, co- the the subtitle was, you know, get our country back. Or again, the the, the there's a, a solid argument that the, the the person who's done the most damage to this country in recent years is the journalist that came up up with the term Brexit because the mm. the damage of it was it's a word that didn't have a definition. <laughs> So yeah. everyone could interpret it as their own. What you see as Brexit is different from what that person sees as Brexit and is different to what Brexit actually w- will be. But it became mm. this thing that anyone could v- v- vote for it because it meant what they wanted it to mean. And that's terrible. It's, yeah, it's madness. Because, like, you know, that that is it. What What is Brexit? It's you not asked, got a definition. Yeah. It's not defined. It's <laughs> fucking crazy. It's, just, well, it's the most important the word in recent times, but it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Yeah, and it, it, but that's it. And you know, if you if we looked at the campaign on on like little microcosms throughout our country, they could apply that phrase Brexit and what it meant to that specific part of the country, to that specific voter. You could be like, well, it means this. Yeah. So it's like you know, to to places where there's severe unemployment, you just talk about it as employment. To places yeah. where yeah. there's lots of immigration, you talk about it as a, as an immigration thing. It's just like. It's like, you know, I remember the first thing I ever saw about Brexit. It it wasn't called Brexit then. It was the European Union, like, bashing from uh, the, the, what's it, Nigel Farage's... Yeah, uh, was it UKIP or was he... UKIP, UKIP, I think it was UKIP. Anyway, they did, like, this thing of saying that the, the office in Brussels was costing us millions 
in paper clips. <laughs> I was like, what? And it was like, well, yeah, because obviously, because the centralised office in the UK that would then go to, to Brussels for these, these general meetings would have to spend loads of money and shipping all the, and I was just like, what, what, what is this? I didn't realise this was a problem. Is, is our, is our economy yeah. under collapse because we've got an office in Brussels or something? Yeah. It was really, but like, you know, they just, they were, <laughs> anything, they were go, right, we'll just fucking use this. Why? It bows down to this. It was, no one was talking about the EU being, the union being a problem. I mean, obviously, like, people like Tony Benn was saying a long time ago. Yeah. But like, it wasn't on the Nash, it was, it wasn't like on a national scale where everyone was fucking talking about how this was a, it's a problem. But it, I, the reason why I was so, so skeptical was that it just came from nowhere and suddenly everyone's like, yeah. Yeah. Let's get the fucking let's get out, and you're like, but why? Well, you didn't give a shit a week ago. Why? What have you been told that I haven't been told? Because I've not had anything that you have, and that means that you know the billboard scenario where the working classes in certain parts of the country have been fucking told something that I'm not seeing on yeah. my little Facebook window, yeah, like yeah, the, yeah, the, co- yeah. the cozy middle class left. So what is it you're being lied to about? Yeah. And why aren't I being lied to about it? What do I get? What do I gain? Because I'm, it ain't going to be the working class is going to gain anything from this scenario. It's going to be the middle classes. Yeah. So what is that? And now we're just like fucked because the whole premise of it is just one big grey area. No one knows. Yeah, yeah. And it's again, just, it's 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 just even more f- fucked because Europe don't give a fuck about us now because of because of the the pandemic they've got bigger things to worry about they're like well fuck your your silly brexit like we're not got time to worry about your your deals and whatever else it's like we've got people dying this is far more of a priority than what was the biggest thing in the world six months ago yeah you know i i I remember when italy was going under massively and thinking i wonder what the conversations are like between Boris Johnson and the PPE situation. Because obviously, I think, yeah. didn't we first try and lean on Turkish factories or something? Yeah, 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 yeah. But it was like, I mean, I could just imagine these fucking, you know, fucking right-wing leaders in, in, in mainland Europe being like, I hope Boris calls me this morning. i got yeah. some fucking steam to let off. I can't wait to tell that piece of shit what yeah. I really think of him yeah, yeah you know yeah, and that, yeah. that's what happens when you sever ties and you laugh in the face of people is that you, you're gonna get laughed at back it's like there's not there's, there's only a few leaders uh in in Europe that I would trust to be truly democratic anyway you know like Sturgeon yeah. and it's it's like the wild west you got you got no you got no meta narratives you got no infrastructure to lean on it's the wild west it's 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 com- it's, it's it's capitalism 101 it's like Suddenly, with chaos, the one percent prevail. Everyone yeah. else is fucked. Yeah, I mean that's that's a a perfect point to, to wrap things up on um, because it's a, a sunny day, and I'm going to guess this is the kind of day that your neighbours might start passing some food around soon. So I'm going to let you get back to that. But I'll end by just asking, what's ahead? Like one of the things that I loved when you guys blew up because again, it rung true with my approach was you you blew up and then you toured your fucking asses off you gigged and gigged and gigged and for me the reason for that was number one to get good because because we weren't good yet and number two to build that fan base and that connection with the fan base and you've done that massively with with the fan base um online and having those communities where it's it's this safe shared place but normally when you're releasing a record you're planning tours all over the place particularly as your last record ended with like Ali Pali and like the mm. biggest shows you've ever done yeah how does that feel now and where are you now I guess with with what's ahead yeah we're at the mercy of obviously COVID-19 yeah or a vaccine I'd say we're probably more under the mercy of yeah. but like that that's one thing we've got is a, is a loyal audience because it was built incrementally over time through word of mouth live but I, it, it's happened at the, like a really privileged point in our career because we have that audience that 
that like trust that we're going to come back and put, put on an amazing live show. So they are just looking after us now at the moment. They are yeah. just like buying our pre-sales of our album and buying our t-shirts, you know, openly, you know, this is our income now. So if you can help us out, great. If you can't, we get it. So like we, we are just like amazed by how lucky we've got with the timing of it all. So we're just going to wait until we can tour and then just start touring again. Cause yeah. that's our, that's what we're good at. Yeah. But luckily with this record, we focused on the sound and it was all about applying the sound to our, to the philosophy of the album and the title of the album, all around that holistic sound and using the most violent parts of post-punk and the most powerful impacted parts of hip hop sonically to make this kind of new wall of sound. Yeah. Which means that we've got a record that we're really confident in the sound of. So on radio, we're like more confident than ever that we can rely on that for a while. And that's um, right, man. Sonically, it it hits hard. It's got that kind of impact that, like the Walkman r- record that blew up had, and th- and things like that, mm. where you really it's just like bang, it it it, it impacts you s- sonically, and then everything that you're already known for lyrically and and musically mm. is is there as well. So yeah, magic. It's, but yeah, I mean, apart from that, like got more. I guess we we wanted to do one of the things we wanted to do was give our audience more because there's less. You know, so entertainment or, or at least our conversation with our audience is, is, is paramount now, you know. So we wanted to do like Bally TV and do some sort of like YouTube stuff. Yeah. That we enjoyed that like definitely embodied what we're about. But also kind of uh, kept us going and kept, gave us some challenges to, to, to achieve. Um, but now it's like we just gotta maintain that and keep keep up the conversation going with our with our audience, and then like do album four. We're gonna record in February. Amazing. So like we're, we're trying to trying to like not write a COVID nineteen album. Yeah, that's a tough one, isn't it? I just I got something to tell you. I got mistakenly. I two people thought I was you. Amazing. I used to have, I used to have a beard and I used to wear a cap a lot. And twice, and, I, and the second time I said to my mate, next time I get someone thinks I'm Scroobius Pitt, I'm going to be a real bastard to them. <laughs> and just pretend to be you and be like, fuck off, yeah. What uh, was up yeah. with that guy? <laughs> yeah. I, only as a joke, I wasn't actually going to yeah, be that. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. But I thought, yeah, I was, twice, twice. I did have proper, like, long beards. I love like, that. I love time. that. And I said, like, when, when you guys blew up, it was in a period when I wasn't, listening to, to much music. I think it's because mm. I just stopped making music. I just stopped mm. my radio show. And other than hearing you at, at wrestling, I said, sh- shout out to Zack Sabre J- a Jr. Um, yeah, shout out. But um, the amount of tweets I'd get about you guys and Sleaford Mods were mm. the two that people would go, you're going to like these guys, Pip, that I yeah. had to kind of come back to music and go, all right, I'll listen to some music. And, yeah, I mm. don't regret it. So, yeah, it's been a pleasure, man. Thank, Thank you for you taking the time, and hopefully we'll be able to, to to cross paths in the real world when there is a real world to cross paths in. Where, where are you based? I'm out in Essex, so I've, Essex. I've lived in the same small town my whole life, Stamfordly Hope. It was that weird one of, as soon as I started to get the option of moving to London or anything like that, I was like, the, the true story is, I was, I was thinking of moving into London, and then I did a spoken word gig at... Um, at the Hammersmith Apollo, I was only doing one bit, but I was on with like The Cure and Alan Partridge and all sorts of like dope people I idolised. And I loved it. And then I got the train home and two drunk girls from Tilbury tried to nick my shoes and set fire to my beard. And it made me know I need to stay in this area so that I never yeah. forget what the real world is like. Do you know what I mean? Because if you've just been yeah. with The Cure and Alan Partridge, it's easy to start going... The world's good, man. It's great. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong. So to get that train home from that gig and yeah. have that, but because I look weird, I was like, I need to stick around here and stay aware of the positive. And mm. As you said, of the small town mentality, I think it's easy for artists to start to think that the world's all solved because we've got our bubble. And that's when things like Brexit happen because we yeah. think it's all solved. And then we go, all oh, right, we weren't in the real world after all. Mm. I mean... Coming back off, off all these tours, you know, like, I don't think people realise how undiegetic touring is. You do not really understand the real world. You're just in a bubble touring, working really hard. And yeah. like, but it's like, you forget that there's 
all this I don't know it's hard to explain it's like you, you come out of it a bit like yeah. in, if you do 192 shows that's most of the year you're on the road yeah and you come out of it like fuck what is going on yeah. you haven't been at home you just, you just yeah. don't get the rhythms you, of you've been going from shit. town to town seeing only the select people from that town who have a similar outlook to you exactly yeah you're not seeing anyone else that's all you're 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 mixing in. It's it's the real life version of how social media can get sometimes. Mm. How if you only f- f- follow people with the same opinions, yeah, it, it gives you a, a, a warped perception. But yeah, and it's it. You know, I, I, I you can imagine that wrapped up to where you're like super famous and you're just surrounded by yes men, sycophants. Yeah, it's dangerous. That's a dangerous existence. Yeah. Like you know, I, I commend those like super famous artists who just stay grounded. Like I was chatting to Jeff Ament from Pearl Jam. And yeah. It's not a healthy existence. Yeah, completely. You know, and it's, it's, it's also why I understand those who don't. Like, I could never get on board when people were getting mad at Miley Cyrus or Justin mm. Bieber or whoever. It's like, they've been in their own world since they were about 16. Mm. Of course, they're going to have a period of being a, a, a fucking dickhead. You yeah. know, that, that, how would they not? So, mm. yeah. It's that like lack of human contact for yeah. a long time. So you're going to turn into a psychopath, yeah, because you don't you like you can't empathise with shit you don't know anymore. Yeah, weird. But anyway, it's been a pleasure, man. As I said, I feel like we could so talk much. for hours, yeah. so we might have to do another one at some point. But it's I'm been in. a joy, man. All right, boss. Thank you. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. How fucking g- good was that chat? We could legit have chatted for hours. Um, genuinely caught off guard when he started referencing m- my songs and my lyrics. I didn't... I've said this before and it's this humble... It, c- it comes across as a humble brag, but I genuinely never expect people to know about my shit. So when someone whose music I and lyrics I greatly respect reveals that they were in any way influenced by or or just a fan of my stuff it's amazing if you're if you're new to the podcast um or new to me then uh, I should mention that the songs that we mentioned or Joe mentioned that thou shall always kill by me and Dan Lassac uh stake a claim by me and Dan Lassac again I think idols fans will unanimously you unanimously enjoy stake a claim or get something from stake a claim and the other one that joe brought up a couple of times was a solo track of mine called death of the journalist yeah give them a listen i said mad isn't it but thank you for tuning in i I really enjoyed that idols are doing yeah these abbey road live performances on august 29th and 30th details are online and then the 2021 tour is going to Glasgow, Newcastle, Cardiff, Birmingham, Sheffield, Dublin, Manchester and London. Tickets um, are, will be on sale on Friday the 28th of August um, at 10am. So swoop upon them. I'll be back next week. Honestly, you're not going to believe the run of, of guests I've got coming up, man. It's insane. You're going to enjoy it. I'm, I'm buzzing. I've been recording some of my favourite episodes ever, including this one, but more to come. So, uh, yeah, enjoy. See you next week.